Good morning, Faith Church. It's good to see you guys today. Thanks so much for showing up. Excited to have you here, man. Just want to welcome again all of our Faith Church family, you that call Faith Church home and you're here and connected. Welcome. Want to say welcome again to our first time guest. You are maybe coming back and want to welcome those who are watching online. Thanks for being here as we continue this series entitled The Emoji Life. We're just kind of talking about, you know, dealing with the feelings that we deal with. Some of you maybe heard this joke before, right? There's this lady, she's uh, been married to a guy for 50 years and he finally passes away, and so 75 years old, life, memories. She remembers so many fond things about him, his character, memories together. So she writes out a three-page, uh, all this stuff, takes it down to the newspaper to put it in to let people know that he's passed and celebrate who he was and all the things that they shared together. And so she gets to the guy, and not only is she celebrating his life and celebrating his memory, but she wants to post the sale of his truck, his beloved truck, and so she submits all of these pages about him in one page to sell the truck. And the guy behind the counter says, ma'am, I'm happy to put all this in the paper, but you need to know that it's 50 cents a word. She grabs it back and says, wait a minute. And he says, but it's a seven-word minimum. So she thinks for a minute how she can put all this in the paper. So she says this in seven words, Bob Robertson dies, 1990 truck for sale. Like that's it. Just captures his whole life in that truck in just this one sentence. We can chuckle about the, the death and in a joke, but any, any of us in this room who's gone through the difficult and the challenges of grief know that sometimes the weight of that can be very heavy. That when we lose somebody who's important, when we suffer a loss, we go through life and we face things that even though we can laugh now, it truly is a difficult challenge to face those times. And so I thought today it would be important that we tackle the topic of grief because it's something that all of us at one time or another we face. Now, the reality is I'm grateful that we don't face the pain and the difficulty of grief as much as we face some other emotions. Imagine how difficult it would be if we faced the difficulty of grief as much as we face joy. Or imagine if we felt the pain of grief as much as we feel worry. So fortunately, we don't have to deal with grief often in this life, but when we deal with it, it can certainly feel overwhelming. And so I thought, man, how can, how can we tackle this topic? For a lot of us, we think that grief is just simply sorrow that comes from a, la from a result of loss. But for many of us, we know that it's far more than sorrow, that there is this deep-seated well of emotions that come when we lose not sometimes just someone, but you can feel grief when you lose something, right? It can be so difficult if you lose an opportunity. If you lose a relationship, there's some of you in this room, you've had a close friend, somebody you were best friends with for years and years, and something happened on your side or their side, and you're no longer friends. And there is the weight of that grief that kind of bears on you like, man, that person's no longer there. You no longer speak to them. Maybe it's not a broken relationship. Maybe some of you in this room, and it's a broken marriage. I've heard people say who've gone through divorce that that's exactly how they describe it. They describe it as grief. Well, I mean, unless you were the one who filed for divorce, then it's, then it's joy. But for you that are on the losing side, it's kind of the weight of this person that you loved and you spent a portion of your life with, they're gone. And obviously, most of all, when we lose loved ones, when we lose a husband or a wife, when we lose a child, when we lose grandma, grandpa, and aunt, or an uncle, when we lose people who are close to us, the power and the weight of grief is so difficult. In fact, David, King David, who was one of God's kind of like one of his premier men in the Old Testament, he said this at one time in Psalm 31. He said, the power of grief, I feel it like I'm dying. He said it was so real, it was so overwhelming, he felt like every day it was like he was in the middle of death. And so 
Maybe you're here and you're going through a season of grief. Maybe you've lost an opportunity. Maybe you've lost a job after a long time. You've lost a career. You've lost a friend. You've lost a loved one. And you know, again, it's not just sorrow. There is this whole weight of emotions that come with it. There's been described kind of this cycle or, or this journey of grief that people go through that, that reflects some of the emotions we feel. And here, here are some of them. Some of you know that kind of sometimes the first thing that people feel when they go through a loss is they go through this thing like where it's just denial. The shock is so real and our first pushback is no way. That can't be real. Man, the, the marriage can't be over. That, that baby can't be gone. And so our immediate pushback is denial. We don't want to believe that we suffered a loss. I remember the first significant person in my life that I lost. I was in fifth grade. My grandmother had struggled with breast cancer for a period of time, and I'll never forget walking home, walking in the door, fifth grade, and my brother meeting me at the door and telling me that grandma had passed away. And like my first response was, like I just couldn't get my brain around the reality that I would never see her again. Like I just thought, no way, she's here, she's still alive. And what I've come to find out is that that rejection or that, that kind of denial, that shock, it didn't just happen because I was in fifth grade. It doesn't matter who you are or how old you are or what stage of life you're in. When you lose something significant or you lose someone significant, kind of that first response is that shock and that denial. And here's what I've come to find out is, is that the greater the loss, the deeper the grief. The more important, more important that person is to you, the greater of a hole you have in your heart when they're no longer there. And so we move from denial, we move to anger. Maybe you're here today and you've gone through a season of grief and you're mad. You're mad at doctors because they didn't have a solution. You're mad at other people because of the way they behave. Maybe you're here and your grief is so great that you're mad at God. I just want you to know that that's okay. God is big enough to bear the weight of your emotion. God's got big shoulders that you can cry on. God's okay even if you get upset at him. You know, there's a story in the New Testament where there's someone who's important and significant to Jesus. His name is Lazarus. Do you know when he passes away, his sister says this to Jesus, Jesus, if you had only been here, Lazarus would still be alive. It's her way of saying, God, where were you at? When he was dying and now he's gone, you were nowhere to be seen. And so we go through all these emotions. And again, we go from this, this denial, we go into anger, and we go into bargaining. God, if you'll just bring them back. God, if you'll restore the marriage. God, if you'll fix this. God, I'll, I'll never sin again. I'll never get mad at you again. God, I'll never have another drink. Like we start bargaining with God and, or we bargain with ourselves. We think, you know, if, if only I had gotten to the doctor earlier. If only we had seen the specialist sooner. If only we had gotten to a counselor. And we just try to bargain our way through it. And ultimately, so many of you in this room who are dealing with grief or have dealt with grief, you know that often it ends up with depression, especially if it's a significant loss, especially if it's somebody we really loved and some of you in this room, and this is a story we've heard several times and, and I've heard and I'm familiar with people who've lost precious children, people who've lost lifelong friends. Some of you are here and you're like in the middle of life or you know someone like this and they've lost their spouse and it's like, what do you do? And it leads us into a place of depression. As we try to look forward to life no longer having our significant other, no longer having that person that we value so much beside us. And as we go through that cycle of emotions, of anger and rejection and bargaining and depression and all these things we face, ultimately for many of us, we end up at this place where we're just accepting it. 
Ultimately, it's this place where we want to end healthy. Even though we've suffered a great loss, even though we've been in a tough time of depression and grief, we want to end healthy. And so here's what I want to talk about today is when you lose someone or something that's significant and you feel the pain and the pressure and the weight of grief, how do we end up healthy? How do we, how do we move through it in a way that's okay? Because we know a lot of people that don't go through grief well. We know a lot of people, maybe you're one, where you just get trapped in depression or you get stuck in the mist and the cycle of anger and you can't break out. And I believe that people of faith, that God makes us promises and God gives us opportunities to maneuver through the difficult weight of grief in a healthy way. And so I want to talk about how we can do that. I want to talk about how it's possible to maneuver through that. So today, if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to the Gospel of John chapter 16. Gospel of John chapter 16. And as you turn there... I want you to just give you a heads up. You know, we try to issue challenges from time to time to keep you engaged in your spiritual journey. And if you're here and maybe you've not been reading your Bible recently or maybe you're looking for a place to get engaged, I just want to issue a quick challenge. I want to challenge you to read this week, John chapter 14, 15, and 16. If you have a red letter edition, red letter is in the New Testament. They're the words of Jesus. They're in red. There's a lot of red in 14, 15, and 16 because Jesus is saying all kinds of great things to his disciples. It's towards the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to head out of this place. And so he's making all these promises to his disciples. He's letting them know things that are coming. He says, hey, I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm not going to leave you alone. He promises us as believers the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, that God's not just with us, but he's in us. And so all these phenomenal things are said in those three chapters. But as you get into John chapter 16, he says some very specific things that are going to help us understand and deal with the weight of grief. But let me just talk about this for one second before we get there. How many of you in this room, you have any kind of corrective eyewear, like you wear glasses or contacts? Wave at me. That means if you're old and you got to wear reading glasses, come on, get them up. We know you like to hide them, get them up. So most of us in this room, you know, we wear some kind of glasses or contacts. I, um, I don't really like going to the eye doctor. I mean, it's not painful or anything, but first of all, I hate failing tests. Like, I don't like failing anything. And so when I fail an eye test, which that's why I'm there, like, I'm like, come on, dude, just give me another chance, you know? Like, I'll make it up as I go. I got like a cheat sheet. It's T, A, <laughs> you know, try to get through. I, I hate when I get fitted for contacts. Some of you guys have gone through the contact fitting where they smash your face through that thing and they make you force your eyes open and they tell you, they warn you it's coming. And they say this, now don't blink which is totally unnatural. And then they hit you with that puff of air and you blink. Like, I need a volume to go in and get, you know, get my eyes checked because this is a panicky thing. And then you sit in, the doctor kind of hooks you up to this machine and you hear this over and over. Okay, tell me, tell me what's better. Is it this or this? Is it this or this? Is it this or this? And I'm like, come on, dude, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And when he finally made the decision, finally came to the conclusion what was wrong, I, I am nearsighted, which means this, that I have the ability to see things clearly that are close up, but the further something gets away, the fuzzier it gets. How many of you guys are nearsighted? Wow, a lot of them. So I'm really good looking is what you're saying because I'm really far away. <laughs> nearsighted again, and here's what I found out about grief, is grief causes things to be very nearsighted. Here's why, it's because we get so caught and captured in the moment of the pain, we can see that so clearly, like we can feel the feelings of loss and we can feel what we're going through and we miss that person. But for us to look down the road and see, can we ever be healthy tomorrow? Is things ever going to be okay next month? It's so hard for people who are overwhelmed with grief to ever see a clear future. And so again, this, the power of grief makes us so nearsighted. And so Jesus steps in and he tackles specifically the 
the issue of grief with his disciples in his soon-to-be absence from their life. And so check this out. Gospel of John chapter 16. The Bible says this, But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Now, let me just let you know. So again, he's having this conversation, but it's not the first time he's had this conversation with his disciples. He's been telling them really the entire part of his ministry that he spent with them for over three years that it wasn't going to end well. He's continued to tell them year in and year out, season in and season out, that the ultimate goal of his coming to planet Earth was to die. In fact, he says at one time, he says, hey, the reason I'm here is to lay down my life and give it as a ransom for many. So this is not the first time that the disciples are hearing that Jesus is going to die. But what I want you to know is that in every time Jesus brings up his death, he doesn't say that that's the end. Every time Jesus brings up the power and the future of his soon coming death to his disciples, he always makes sure that they they know that death is not the end, but he's going to be resurrected. That even though he's leaving, he's coming back. That even though he's going to die, he's going to live again. Which is so powerful with these words right here. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear these words that Jesus speaks because he doesn't say to them, hey guys, now I'm getting ready to die. Because when somebody dies, it really doesn't help us to understand everything that happens. Because when somebody dies, that sounds so final. When you lose somebody important or close to you, it seems like that's it. But Jesus doesn't say, I'm dying. He says what? He says, I'm going away. Which means, yes, I'm going to die, but that's not the end. Because when I close my eyes and you don't see me anymore, I'm still alive and I'm going somewhere. And his promise is that death isn't the end. He looks at his disciples who can't imagine life without him. I mean, can you imagine? This is like 12 grown men, or at this point, uh, 11 grown men are sitting around. You've got to imagine beards filled, filled with tears and snot. Like, they're like, Jesus, don't go. They're crying. They're devastated. They can't imagine their teacher leaving. And Jesus says, I'm not just dying, I'm going away. Next verse, watch this. He said, instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. He says, listen, I'm telling you I'm dying. Yeah, I get it. That's why you're sad. But you're just grieving because you're only hearing the first part of the sentence. Yes, I'm dying, but I'm coming back. And for us to maneuver through the difficulty of grief, we have to understand that death is not the end. And the disciples were so overwhelmed at a future without Jesus that they could no longer hear that he was coming back. So he asked them this question, hey, guys, like, why are you grieving? I, I want to tell you that I'm coming back, but you're so focused, you're so, you're so overwhelmed, you're so filled with sorrow at, the, at me leaving that you're not hearing that I'm coming back. This isn't the end. And he goes on and says this, watch this, verse 16. In a little while, you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you will see me again. So he's like, so you see me, and then you won't see me, and then you'll see me again. Like, right, abracadabra, here I am, I'm gone, I'm back again. And this is confusing to the disciples. They're like, wait a minute, Jesus, you said you're dying? You're you're telling me we're going to see you, but then we're going to see you again? I don't understand. In fact, they express it. Watch this. Some of the disciples ask each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you'll see me, and I'm going to the Father? What's, What's he trying to communicate? Jesus, like, we're sad you're leaving, like, and you're talking in riddles. We don't understand it. What's going on? Jesus, explain it to us. And so Jesus does. He says this. He says, I tell you the truth. 
Come on, read this with me. Every voice here, he says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. See, the religious teachers of the day, they were happy to get rid of Jesus. So he said, some people are going to be excited, but you guys, people who love me, people who are close to me, he said, you're going to mourn. But watch this, read it. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. What I've come to say today is no matter how deep your grief, no matter how deep your depression, no matter how angry you are at God, his promise is, is that he can take your grief and turn it to wonderful joy. And I just want you, to t- I want you to know today that God has the power to do the impossible. God can restore broken emotions and God can restore broken hearts. The heart of God is always restoration. Whether it's restoring broken relationships or broken marriages or broken lives or broken hearts in a broken world, God's heart is always restoration. And while you may not be able to see it because of the weight of the pain you're under, God is able to take your grief and your sorrow and your pain and he is able to turn it into wonderful joy. I'm glad you're all excited about that. Wonderful joy. And he tells us this. He gives us this illustration to help us understand it. He says this talking about grief and the pain that they're going through. He says, it'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she's brought a new baby into this world. So he's trying to get the disciples to understand, how can you be so sad and be joyful? Jesus, we're getting ready to lose you. You're getting ready to be gone. How could we ever be excited again? How could we, how could we ever be in joy again? And so he makes this comparison. He says, it's the same way like a woman who's getting ready to have a baby, and she's in anguish. And for all of you that are in this room, you don't need anybody to explain to you the anguish of child labor and birth. Help me somebody. Like, I've been there on the other side. Like, Sean and I, we've had three children. When I say we, like, I was there when it happened. That's it. But I can claim being along for the ride. Everybody's been in the spot where, you know, your, your belly's blown up and your wife is getting big and you're going to the doctor and the day finally comes and labor kicks in. Anybody here remember labor pains? They're not labor joys, they're labor pains. And I remember they hooked Sean up to these machines that could measure her contractions before she could feel them, which was amazing. It was like a roller coaster ride. I was like, here it comes, baby. Woo, are you ready? Woo! She'd be like, I hate you. Doctors come, and, and but here's the reality is, man, you're so focused on the pain. You're so focused on the contractions and feeling that. Honestly, in the season, while I was excited to see my two daughters and my son come into this world, in the moment of pain and anguish, I was more concerned about my wife than I was about the baby that was coming. I remember when, um, when our first daughter was born, Kayla, Shauna was a couple weeks overdue. She was huge. I can say that because I'm way up here and she can't reach me. And so we'd gone to the doctors. The doctors had already told us that if she didn't go into labor soon, they were going to induce her. So she went for one final stress test. And while she's there doing her thing, the doctor actually said, hey, you're in labor right now. And so he sent us across the street to the hospital. And, uh, and we're there for hours. And like she's in labor and I'm uncomfortable. And she's in labor and I'm like, I'm in a suit. I just, I know I'm, I'm selfish. I can't, I can't help it. So I'm like, babe, I got to go home and change. And I'm going to be right back. And I was okay doing this because a nurse had come in just a few minutes earlier and did an oil check. It's, you know, she looked under the hood and said, yeah, it's only a few centimeters dilated. You're good. And so I got in the car and I drove about a half hour home. That's how far it was from the hospital to our home. Drove about a half hour home. And as soon as I got in the door, 
the, the machine was beeping with a message, and it was the doctor or the nurse saying, you need to hurry back, your baby's coming. So I hurried and changed, and <laughs> I, man, drove as fast as I could back to the hospital, didn't stop for any lights or stop signs, ran in the hospital literally as the baby's coming out. I mean, out popped our daughter, and they wrap, you know, they wrap the baby, and they try to hand it to you. I'm like, can you wash that thing off first? I don't know where she's been. But here's the thing is, listen, in all of the chaos, is my wife going to be okay? Is she all right? I mean, you see that your, your wife, man, like in uncomfortable positions with people, strange people you don't know, looking at your wife in a way only a husband should look at their wife and painful and screaming and drugs and ivy. And in the middle of all of the anguish, when the anguish settles, joy comes when a brand new baby's born. And so Jesus is saying the same way a mom who is suffering in anguish, it's like a person who's overcome with grief, but the grief doesn't last. Joy comes in the morning. And this is God's promise for you. That no matter how deep your pain and your sorrow and your suffering is, God has a promise for his disciples that even though I'm leaving and you don't understand it and you're sad and you're broken because you think I'm not going to be here, he says, I want you to know that there is an end to your suffering. There is a joy that's going to come at the end of your grief. Just like a woman who's in anguish has a baby. He says, you're in suffering right now, but this is not the end. And then he says this. I love this verse. Watch this. He says, so you have sorrow. Come on, read this with me. So you have sorrow. Come on, everybody say now. Now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice. I want you to know something that you might be in the middle of a season of difficulty and depression and grief. You're in the now season, but the now season is not the only season of your life. It may feel like that. It may feel like that's what you're going to go through. But I want you to know something that now is not the only time. There is a then in your future. He says, right now you're sorrowful, but then you'll rejoice and no one can take that from you. It's like, I don't know about you guys, I like movies, I'm a movie guy, and no matter how bad something gets in a movie, and, and you know this, in the, in, the, in the middle of the movie, when, when the hero looks like he's died or looks like something really tragic has happened, most of us, we know this about movies, when you get to the end of the movie, it's all buttoned up into a nice, neat package, right? The husband and wife, they're back together, the, the hero saves the city, no matter what it is, by the time you get to the end of the movie, you know everything works out. So while you're sitting on the edge of the seat like, oh no, what's going to happen to him? Oh no, how bad is it going to get? In the movie, it always works out. That's why I hated the movie Castaway. Anybody remember the movie Castaway? It's, the only, it's like, you know a movie's a good movie if after you see that movie, you start talking to volleyballs. <laughs> Wilson. You go see this movie. If you've not seen the movie, it's an older movie. You need to check it out. But right, this guy gets stranded on this island and the whole movie is him there alone and trying to deal with, deal with isolation. Is he ever going to get back? And let me just give it away. I'm, I'm going to give the movie away. He's married when he leaves and crashes on this island. And when he gets rescued, finally gets rescued, has a long beard, he's skinny. He finally gets rescued and you think he's going to be reunited with his wife because that's how good movies end. Everything works out in the end. And he gets back to civilization and she's married another dude. And like certainly she's going to leave the dude for the original dude. And she doesn't. And there's this part in the movie where she walks away and, and Tom Hanks' character standing like, are you kidding me? I just suffered. A but there's this, there's this box and the whole time the movie's about this box and he finds this really hot chick who's way hotter than the original chick. 
and you think he's going to end up with the second chick. And he hands her the package and doesn't get the second chick. And you never even find out what's in the package. Are you kidding me? In the end of the movie, he's standing in the middle of an intersection between four cornfields in greater isolation than he was on the island. That was stupid because it didn't work out. And we're used to movies working out. I want you to know something. When Jesus says there's a now and there's a then, he's saying right now you've lost somebody you love. Right now you've lost a baby and you've lost a loved one and you've lost a marriage and you've lost a career. And he's saying, I know your heart is broken, but there is a then that is coming. And I'm telling you, I've read the end of the book and it all works out. There is a promise we have in Christ that he's going to hold it all together when it feels like it's falling apart. And he has a promise that'll show up if we'll hang on. And then he says this, watch this. I want you all to read this verse, verse 33. Every voice in this house, you got to read this. I have told you these things. I'm dead, but I'm coming back. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, and undaunted. Watch, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of the power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Come on, somebody. So the disciples, and, and, and you know the story, you can, you can fast forward in the movie. All you got to do is turn a couple pages. And the disciples who are deep and distraught at the absence and the death of Jesus, three days later, he comes back alive. And you might be here, and maybe, maybe you've lost a baby, and you're like, but Pastor Steve, my baby's not coming back after three days. And maybe you've lost a loved one. And you've lost something significant, and there's nowhere in your future where you see that coming back. You say, that's a nice story for Jesus, but what about me? The purpose of this story is to understand what Jesus did, that what Jesus did by dying and coming back from the dead paved the way for everyone who trusts and believe in, believes in him to also, even though you die, you don't really die, that you continue to live th forever through Christ. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you die, you'll live. If you live and you believe in me, it's this crazy promise that what Jesus did on the, on the cross of Calvary and when he walked out of that tomb, he paved the way that death doesn't have to be the end for anybody that all we do is we do what Jesus did. We just go and see somebody. We just go and see the Father just like Jesus did. And so the Apostle Paul, he gives us this scripture because Christians were wrestling with it. Like, what happens to dead people? Like, what do I do, man? I'm in anguish because I've lost my mom or I've lost my bride, I've lost my child. What do I do? And so the Apostle Paul, he writes this in 1 Thessalonians. Check this out, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve. Y'all got to read this. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. The most powerful word in this scripture right here is this word like. What he's saying is this. He's saying, hey, you're going to grieve. See, like this world tells us all these crazy things. Here's what the world tells us. Because the world suffers, we suffer whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, whether you're a Christian or not, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, grief is real and we all face loss. And the world tells us things like this. The world tells us, hey, this is how you handle grief. First of all, you just need to quit crying. Hey, quit crying. Buck up, be a man. 
Hide your tears. Nobody wants to see that. The world tells us, like, you know, you just need to not just make your emotions clear. The world tells us, hey, just replace it. If you lose a lifelong puppy, just go get another one. I have seen people get remarried because they lost someone they love so passionately, they don't know what to do with that love, so they go place it on someone else, and they just have an unhealthy second marriage. They'll just tell you just to replace it. Or they'll tell you things like this. How many people have heard things like this? Hey, that time heals everything. If you've ever lost somebody, you know that's the greatest lie there ever is. Time does not heal wounds. You just hurt longer. So the world has this way of telling us we should deal with our grief. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, watch this. He says, he says I'm going to give you some knowledge. I want to give you some information because I don't want believers, I don't want Christians, I don't want brothers and sisters in Christ to grieve like people who have no hope. He's saying, I want you to grieve in a different way. And I just want to give you just a couple of things real quick. Number one, I want you to feel your feelings. It's okay to grieve. If you lose somebody or something that's important to you, if a relationship, if a good friend, if you lost a career, you got laid off, if you've lost someone who is important to you, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset. There's nothing wrong with you. There's something right with that memory that you lost someone important. Feel those feelings because God blessed you with somebody who is incredible. Not only that, I would tell you, grieve in community. Don't grieve alone. Find a shoulder to cry on. Find somebody who has your back. Find somebody who will hand you a tissue. Find somebody who will put their arm around you. Find somebody that will pray for you. But don't cry alone. That's the worst way to cry. Listen, this is, I'm telling you, the world has it figured out. The world will wander into a bar and have a drink with somebody. Church people, they just feel like they got to do it alone. We have the greatest culture in the world. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can surround ourselves with in the most difficult of times. Don't grieve alone. But he says this, he says, watch this. He says that we don't have to grieve like people who have no hope. Well, why don't we have to grieve like people who have no hope? Because we have hope. We got hope. Thief, the thief of grief is hope. What will help us to overcome the power of grief in our life is hope. The thief of grief is is hope. We have hope in Christ. Because he died and he went into that tomb and he rose again, the apostle Paul earlier in 1 Corinthians says he is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's saying Jesus is only the beginning. Because we are in him, because our faith is in him. You don't die, you continue to live. And so our hope is this, yeah, you've lost somebody. Grieve that loss. And you may be broken and sorrowful and sad your entire life. But this life here is going to end, but eternity lasts forever. And if they're in Christ, we're going to see them again. If they're in Christ, we're going to get connected again. We don't have to say goodbye. We can just say, see you later. Because of what Jesus has done for us. He made a way for us to overcome grief. Our pain is overcome by his promise. Our pain is overcome by his promise. I remember several years ago, right? I'm the family pastor because I'm the only pastor in the family. For a long time, I was the only Christian. So anytime there's a family event, I'm always the guy to pray. Doesn't matter what's going on. Like a lot of my family's still unsaved. So like they feel compelled to pray when I'm there. Okay, like they're smoking. Okay, get it over with. People putting their bourbon down. Go ahead and pray. So I get to pray at all the big family events. And 
I'm also the family pastor when somebody dies. And so over the last several years, I've had the privilege to bury all four of my grandparents. And when my grandfather on my mom's side, he got sick several years ago, and he was like a man's man. He, he wasn't religious, wasn't churchy, wasn't saved. And anytime I try to talk to him about Jesus, he would always have kind of this mentality like, what do I need saved from? Because his mentality was, I'm a good guy. Because he was a man's man. He was a generation. My grandfather fought in World War II. He was, a, he was a staff sergeant in the cavalry of World War II, which always like tripped me out because I thought, that's really unfair he was in the cavalry because like, I mean, can you imagine who's the guy, who's the general? Like, okay, you get a tank and you get a bazooka and you get a horse. So he's, he gets to ride a horse, World War II, man's man. My mom's real mom, she died of cervical cancer. My mom was young, had two, uh, two sisters at that time. Most men in my grandfather's generation, if they lost their wife, they abandoned their family. That's just what they did. My grandfather got out of the, got out of the military a year early to go home and take care of his three kids. Got remarried, had five more children. He obviously never figured out what caused that. Had five more children. Worked for 50 years every day, never missed work. One of those guys, just a tough guy. And so when he got to the end of his life and we knew the end was near, you know, I I just kept looking for an opportunity to share my faith, to share Christ. Grandpa, man, you, you need Jesus. And I'll never forget sitting in his kitchen about three weeks before he passed away. And like, there was just this breakthrough moment where he seen it. And I was able with my mom sitting with my grandfather, take my grandfather by the hand and pray with him to receive Christ. And it was just, it's just an awesome moment for me. So fast forward three weeks, he passes away. My uncle, my mom's brother, the executive of the state, he's the one in control of all the decisions. I'll never forget he called me because I buried grandma as well several years earlier and he knows how I do things. So I'll never forget the phone call. I'm sitting in my living room. My grandfather, who I just led to Christ three weeks earlier, has passed away. Phil calls me and he says this. He says, hey, Steve, he says, uh, he says we want you, the family, wants you to do the funeral, but you can't share any of that Jesus stuff. And I remember sitting there like so mad, like I'm not a crier, but I remember just so mad and I started cr- like crying and I couldn't tell you why, but I was just so angry and so disappointed. And I got off the phone with my uncle. And I called him. I'm like, I probably said some choice things I can't repeat here, but Jesus forgives me. I'm like, I just don't understand it, man. What's their deal? You know, what's, I was just so upset. And I did the funeral and I walked in that place understanding this. That if all I do is get up and talk about grandpa, this group of people, my family will leave with no hope. And we're going to grieve. But as a people who believe and have faith in Christ, we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. The only thing I had to offer that room full of people, my family, was Christ. And I stood up there. I don't care what my uncle said. And I loved my grandfather. We celebrated his memory. But before it was over, I shared the hope that I had in Christ and the hope my grandfather had discovered three weeks earlier because what my family needed in the desperate moment of grief was to understand that death is not the end. In fact, when the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians, go back to this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want you to notice something he says. He says, we don't have to sorrow. Watch this. He says, watch. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to those believers who have died. Everybody say died. This is a really bad translation. Most translations say to those who have fallen asleep, here's why. 
because up to the time of Christ, when people died, they buried them in graveyards. A graveyard was a place that you put dead people because Jesus died and came back from the grave. The apostle Paul had this revelation and all of a sudden it changed the way they talked about graveyards. They didn't call them graveyards anymore. In fact, the word that's used here is this word where we get our word cemetery. The word cemetery doesn't mean graveyard, a place for the dead. A cemetery means a sleeping place. It means they're not really dead. All their body's doing is sleeping. But when you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But your body just goes to sleep. But it doesn't stay there forever. On the day of the resurrection, the same way Jesus got up, we're going to get up one day. And because there is a hope that Jesus did it, and he made a way through his love and through his power and through his grace for us to do it too. If you have a fill in the blank, I'll give it to you because some of you have heard people say it this way, that the cost, watch this, say this with me. Give us a fill in the blank. Grief is the price we pay for love. I didn't say that. Someone else said it, but it's true. If you're going to love somebody, when you lose them, you're going to grieve. Grief is the price we pay for love. But here's what I want you to know. Love is the price that Christ paid for us to overcome grief because he loved us enough. He laid down his life and he made a way that death is not the end, that we have a hope and we have a life in him. So no matter what your grief is, no matter how deep your loss is, your loss is not the end. There is a tomorrow that hope gives us the ability to see. See, hope doesn't really change the level of our pain. It's just a lens that we can see our loss through. But that's not the end. I'm going to see my grandma again, and I'm going to see my grandpa again, and when my parents pass away, I'm going to see them again because death's not the end. Jesus made a way. Jesus made a way. And so if you carry grief into this place, I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I pray over every person, over every loss, over those who are in depression and anger and sorrow. The Father, in these last few moments of this service, I pray that your promise would grip their hearts and that, God, you would carry them through this difficult season, that they are in a now time where all they feel is pain and sorrow. But I pray that right here in this moment, you'll move them into the then into the hope that we have in Jesus. And Father, I thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.